Who put their hand up when asked, who wants to be a footballer? I'm Johnny McPhee. This is Play, Train, Grow. Let's find out what happened after you put your hand up. Hello and welcome to Play, Train, Grow, a podcast that's going to ask what life is really like chasing the dream of becoming a professional footballer. In this episode, I'd like to talk to Strew and Rob about his own personal journey to academy football. Strew and how are you, pal? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, hey, I'm excited. It's been a while since we've chatted. So, again, just give us your journey through football, through your academy and where you are now. Uh, I used to play for a team from Edinburgh, a team in Edinburgh called Hutchinson Vale Boys Club. Kind of, they were the kind of the big team in Edinburgh. Then I started playing regional football for Southeast Region. Then through there, I went to trials and played for the Scottish Youth Boys Club team. Uh, played well there got scouted from Dundee United and went on trial played for Dundee United for a couple of years then got released went to Fife Elite Stenhouse Muir then Stirling Uni back to Hutchie then went over to America on a scholarship and then now I'm back in Scotland playing junior football Awesome pal so during those times what comes back if I ask you about your your best moments or your best games at any point? What comes to mind? I remember my debut for Dundee United. Uh, they would play on a Sunday in the afternoon, but my boys' club would play Sunday morning, and my boys' club didn't weren't overly keen on me playing too much for Dundee United at the time. Just with you know, the for Hutchie, they won basically everything. So they wanted to make sure they kept winning everything. So on the day I was making my debut for Dundee United in my first trial match, I was meant to play in the morning for my boys' club team. And I was going to play 90 for them and then come play for Dundee United. Luckily, my game for them was cancelled. That was on a grass pitch, the weather. So I just had to play for Dundee United. And being a Hibs fan, it was against Hearts and we beat them. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was a big moment for me. Now, another one would probably be scoring for Dundee United. I scored, scored twice for them. Uh, my first goal for them was a massive thing. And then just moments like playing against players who you knew were training with the under-20s or guys who were already on professional contracts. That was really good, just seeing what their level was like compared to yours. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, we'll say that you played in defence just to highlight that goal scoring wasn't a strength. I don't yeah. want to sound like you're a striker and only put two in the back of the net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. So on the football pitch, I ask everyone this: What does a, a nine out of ten you look like? Is it winning tackles, winning headers? Are you pressing strikers? What did you feel, or what did it look like from the sidelines? I would think I'd be very vocal and kind of commanding. So I played centre back at Dundee United, both the defence and then the midfield. Uh, Okay, I feel like back then I'd win every header, every tackle, and I always pride myself on keeping the ball. I would never really hoof it or never, maybe I did sometimes, but didn't play particularly slack passes. I was always quite proud of always keeping the ball. Uh, So I'd say I would just try and take the ball out as well off the keeper. That was quite a big thing for us back then. I like that. So if I was to write a list down of, of your... Before a match, you're looking for a list of things you'd want to do well. It sounds like you already know at a young age what that is. 
Yeah, it's something that was kind of drilled into us about trying to work on how you'd get the ball out from the keeper from a goal kick or uh, just kind of ways you can move to keep the ball if they are pressing you. So there's patterns which were in your head of, you know, if he goes there, I should move this way or whatever. Yeah, I like it. So let's let's flip it a wee bit. Uh, roll you the ball, first minute, second minute, striker comes in, pressed you, takes it off, you sticks it in the back of the net. What goes through the head? How do you recover? Uh, it almost recover. happens. Spend one, the whole game. Oh, no, no. It almost happened once. Uh, I was playing against Celtic and there was a guy, Calvin Miller, who at the time was probably the best player in the league in the country yeah. for our age group. Uh, he then went on, played Celtic first team games and everything. I remember me being naive, having just signed, not knowing who he was and didn't know he was about the pace of Usain Bolt. Tried to feign and go past him, got the ball taken off me and he didn't score, he missed. But I remember getting shouted at and just thinking, oh, geez, uh, I was pretty nervous. But then one of the coaches at the time said, if you make a mistake or concede a goal because of your fault, don't try and then do something amazing to impress everyone. Said, just play yourself back into it. Just play a few five-yard passes. If you need to hit it out, hit it out. Just kind of play yourself back into the game. Said, don't then go on and make second mistake, third mistake. Uh, yeah, love it. No, it's great advice. One of the other chats I've had recently was on the same the same mold. It's once you've made a mistake, just try and get on the ball as quick as you can. The worst thing to do at times is actually to try and hide from it. Mm-hmm. Kind of thinking. The last thing you want to do is think about things like that. Yeah, it just puts you off then. It does, absolutely. So I've already right, I've put you off. You've lost it. You've got the red mist. Do you have any ways of getting that back? I know you said you looked to make a wee five-yard pass or anything, but is there anything you'd use as a, maybe a trigger? Uh, I would try and, if a, a tackle, go through someone as well, like take the man and the ball. That would sometimes just kind of calm me ball, down. Take the ball and the man. Ball, ball and then the man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that would kind of calm me down sometimes. Or even, I was quite like trying to switch the ball. If I could hit, they didn't have to go to the player, but just turn their defence, then just put the pressure on them and took it off our defence. We could get our line up, and then you're not going to have an issue for a wee while. You're not constantly having pressure on you. Yeah, I like that. And does that then, if, if I talk about how you feel inside, so if, if you've made a mistake or you've given the ball away and you go and clear that ball, are you almost releasing that mistake with the pass? Yeah, I suppose maybe subconsciously. I was doing that. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily have realised that I was doing that, but it's kind of just kicking it away, not kicking it away, but releasing the anger through that rather than doing a reckless tackle or, you know, I, I wouldn't shout at the coach or other people or whatever. Uh, that would probably be my way of getting rid of it. Yeah, so you also talked about being a vocal person at the back. So what does that sound like to me on the sideline? If I'm walking to the pitch and can't see you, but I can hear you, what am I hearing? I think I'd be telling everyone where the pass is. So if the right back's got it, I'm telling him to lay it back to me. Or if he's got up the line into midfield, we're telling people to make sure their line are up, try and tell people where their runs are, people to watch, uh, equally runners going past people. Uh, I like to think I almost was trying to manage the team without the ball to tell everyone where to go so that if we did turn over possession and they had it, we were then set that they weren't just going to counter-attack us and go straight through and score. I love that phrase, manage the team. That's a, a great way to put it. I really like that. I might 
I've already written that down, <laughs> keeping that in the back pocket for when I eventually get back out on the Astro. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm liking this idea of managing the team. So from the players around you, do you think that you could increase the amount of communication the people around you were also given? Or do you think it was just a thing for you? Because communication is a very unique thing, especially at you know, 12, 13, 14. I think some players were vocal anyway, whereas others, others I think, made them feel more, even if they weren't vocal themselves, made them more comfortable that someone was telling them where to be. Uh, it just makes them feel like someone's almost looking out for them so they don't get caught out with something they haven't realised, like a man slipped off his shoulder or something. Yeah. Uh, Would you do it in training too? Yes, but training maybe not as much. Just with where we trained, it was only a five-a-side pitch we trained on most of the week. So it wasn't quite as easy to be as vocal on the smaller pitch. But in saying that, I would always be very encouraging at training. So in the gym and stuff, I'd be wanting everyone to do well. Uh, so I'd be vocal in that way. Yeah, no, I like it's it's a it is a rare thing. I'm I've fortunate to have coached a, a you know a good number of teams. I've been doing it for ten years now, and the vocal individuals they are getting rarer from from what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. It's an important part of it. So um, we're, we're moving on and, and we're, you talk about training games. What was balance like? What, what did your sort of day-to-day look like at 14, 15? You know, up school, training, how busy was it? Was there any free yeah. time for anything else? It wasn't much free time at all. So I would wake up at, say, 7. Uh, and when I was at Dundee United, every morning, as soon as I woke up and before I went to bed, I'd do eight minutes of planking on my front and on the sides that's what we did at training and I always wanted to do well in the training to try and impress the coaches so wake up do my plank have a shower eat breakfast bus to school full day school work would rush home because training was in Stirling like 6 to 8 or something so it was quite a quick turnaround and then sit in the car on the way to training doing homework have a bit of food go to training eat after it sleep on the way back get home at say 9ish do more homework and then go to bed. It was like constant, uh, constantly doing stuff. It's so difficult, isn't it? There's so much to manage and so much to bounce and that travels on top of it is, yeah, the, the old homework on the way to training and sleep on the way back was quite a regular. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Or having to, to write essays on an iPad and stuff, just trying to type it all out because I knew I had a deadline on the Monday. But on the Sunday, I was up in Aberdeen for like a two o'clock kickoff in the middle of the day. And the whole day was wiped. I threw it uh, Sterling or something for a bus or just yeah. drive up your cell, leaving it seven or eight in the morning. Yeah, there wasn't much time for school stuff. So how, how was the balance then with school? Um, did you, you find enough time to apply enough to school that you wanted to? Yeah, I worked very hard and I put a lot of time through my parents into the education side of it so that if football didn't work out, which it didn't in terms of going pro, uh, I always had that to fall back on but it was it was very hard and I'd be up late doing homework and doing homework in the dark with like, my phone torch on in one hand trying to do math sums with a pen with the other it wasn't it wasn't easy and I think a lot of people would probably have just thought oh, I'll just sack off the homework or whatever but my mum and dad were very kind of you know you need to do this because you're not guaranteed to be a footballer Absolutely, that's and that's the best, probably the best phrase you could hear. It's not guaranteed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, think about even just bringing luck into that. Just you can't control luck. But no, so my, my dad and I talk about this all the time watching football on TV. Like Marcus Rashford, he only made his debut because someone got injured in the warm up, scores twice, then starts the next week against Arsenal, scores twice, scores against Man City the week after, or whatever. It's just luck that someone got injured. And there's so many stories of guys who you play with, you think, oh, I'm not sure if he's actually amazing, but the scout was there on the day, played well, or the winger he was meant to be marking was injured that game, or, you know, it's wee things. Oh, it is. Some of them you don't miss and some of them you do. That's the incredible thing. And you just have to hope that it falls on your side. That's the phenomenal bit about it. So we move on a wee bit in terms of time. What was it like? during contract times? Because contract times add in with exam times to keep it linking to school. So was there a, a change in the way you felt at that point when you were playing and training? Pretty nervous. You kind of knew when you had a review and you knew roughly when that would be what week. And it was, it was a lot of pressure leading up to it, thinking, have I done enough? And maybe the, the first one, my first year of 17, I knew I wasn't going to get one that season anyway. So... I was okay. It would be ideal if I had, but I knew that I wasn't going to get one. Then the next year, in your final year, there's a lot of pressure to try and do enough. And there's so many things that come into it about other players or just, you know, relationships with coaches, ensuring you get enough game time, being seen to do extra. I remember I used to always, when I got out of the car and walked to training on in Sterling, always beating an apple when I came out of the car, just in case the coaches saw me and thought, oh, he's like, preparing well for training he's eating his apple rather than someone I don't know having a chocolate bar or something or, uh, I was just doing these little stupid things which probably made no difference but you were so desperate to impress you just do anything and it's the detail that's important though you're saying it might be stupid but it's really important because you hear stories of players being given contracts because they used to always bring the kit in they used to always mm-hmm. help and it had nothing to do with football. It was to do with the things you do out with the football pitch. And they are ways just as important at times. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get on with all your coaches and everything. Yeah. And the thing is, you can't control that either. You, you find somebody that you don't get on with in any walk of life. And football is the same. And the difficult thing is you might be 16 or 17 trying to get some sort of contract. And you might not get on with somebody and... Being able to manage that and work your way through it is really tough at those age groups. Mm-hmm. So you've also talked about, I'm going to keep going on your pathway just to get more out of it for, for people. So you, you've talked about Stenard's Muir and America. So how did you end up in America? Uh, so I, I when I left, got released by Dundee United, went to Fife Elite who can have like a body and operate for a few clubs, had the option of trying to go pro full-time at Falkirk or go to Stenhouse Muir, which would be part-time. I felt like I came in too late in the season to go into Falkirk because guys have been training with the 20s all season and I was just brand new and I thought they've probably already got their eyes set on who they're going to give these contracts to. Went to Stenhouse Muir, started playing games, was doing well, trained with the first team. Uh, I've been verbally offered a a part-time contract was was buzzing because you know I class myself as professional, playing for a professional club. Was so excited, and then they came into financial trouble over that summer before I'd signed it, and they scrapped the twenties. Yeah, and it was then oh, luck again, just out of your control. Another yeah, roadblock just thrown in your way. 
And then there's guys who had already signed a contract, just having just been there on the day and they said, oh, we'll just sign it now. And then play first team for them. You think, oh. oh, you know, these guys, you know, if they hadn't, would that have happened? Or if I'd been there on that day, would I then be playing? And all these thoughts in your head. But then, yeah, went to Sterling Uni after that, playing for them part-time whilst I was at school still. And the option of America came up to a couple of people I know. So trialed for that, went out to Kentucky in August 2017. Okay, uh, what was that? Was that just on football or was there college involved? It was a, a, a university scholarship with football on the side. So instead of going out partying five times a week like my mates in Scotland, I was playing football five times a week. Um, and that was as close to being pro as you could be without being pro in terms of the care you were given, the amount of money they would spend on you, the level of the program you were going through, level of the fitness, it was just next level. Uh, and you're playing with guys from all over the world, which I've never done before. I'd only ever played with Scottish guys or maybe the occasional English guy. Uh, and that made it really interesting to see how different people played from different countries and then also trying to communicate with people that didn't really speak English. That's interesting. So... That's a really interesting point because I've not spoken to anybody yet that's that's gone out with Scotland, if I'm honest. So mm-hmm. talking about money being spent, what was that like? Is that on kit, training, facilities? Everything, like you know, brilliant gym, the AstroTurf, all of your training kit done for you, even like sliders and stuff. Each uh, sport team had their own full-time physio. So Lady Katie, you just had to text her and you get a massage whenever you wanted. You could have ice baths after every training session if you wanted. You could have, I'm not sure what they're called, but it's like a a thing you put over your legs and it inflates and it's meant to help with your recovery. You could use that whenever you wanted. It was just, it was like being a pro completely. Uh, all your food was done for you. Uh, really just everything you could think of, they did for you. Oh, that's really interesting. Certainly a part that a lot of people won't get over here, that's for sure. I don't think you would have seen much of that really at any point. <laughs> Maybe the big the big Rangers and Celtic and Hearts might with their access to the university. But yeah, it's really, really interesting. So what was the playing style difference? Like, I'm quite interested in that. They, they were a lot more rigid than over here. I don't know if that's because in America, their football and soccer just isn't as... People don't know about it as much, so... I feel like here, coaches give you a game plan and then if it doesn't work, you kind of have to sort it yourself. Whereas with them, it was like they were almost working off a formula sheet and this is what you do when this happens and you drilled almost like a lesson. This is what happens and this is how you react to situations. So it felt almost scripted when you were playing sometimes. That's interesting. So do you find that your playing style managed to fit into that or was it just two different worlds? Uh, it, it did, but it was just very, it was just different. And they, they cared a lot about stats. So they would talk about trying to get as many corners a game as you could and shots on goal because they want, so we were ranked sixth in America for our division thing. So it was the NAIA. So you have the NCAA Division 1 and 2, and then the NAIA. The difference being that the NAIA is less uh, eligibility requirement so people that had played pro or had been paid to play football could go and play in that league uh, 
yeah, we, we were really good, but they were just so hung up on facts. Sorry, stats. Stats, yeah. Yeah, making sure you did all these things. And whereas here, it wouldn't matter as long as you won. That's interesting. We're certainly moving that way now with statistics and, and analysis coming in. Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe something else we can we can talk about in another day about maybe introducing some of that over here and what you think is relevant. So bringing you back a little bit, and I, I, at the kind of halfway point, I always ask this question, is being a footballer easy? No. Uh, is <laughs> Being a footballer, and if you're, you know, Dundee United or a Scottish team, is different to what people think of when you think of like Ronaldo or Messi, who are earning ridiculous amounts of money and everything being done for them. Is that's not the case here? Uh, a lot of it's your own effort, any kind of meal prep, whatever you have to do yourself. Uh, yeah, I remember being at school. I was say sixteen, and kind of going to a party, and all my mates would drink, and I wouldn't drink. I remember people thinking that's so strange you don't drink why wouldn't you drink and almost being made to feel different because you wouldn't drink or if your mate started smoking or whatever wouldn't touch it uh yeah you're just taking it very seriously people thought it was strange which made it then hard to fit in or if my mates did anything on a saturday night i couldn't go because i had a game the next day i wanted to make sure i slept well so then if people didn't do stuff on a friday night wouldn't see my mates all weekend and you feel that you can kind of be, not intentionally through them, but left out of things. And then also at four, night, four nights a week, I spent through in Stirling. And then a Sunday would be in Dundee or anywhere across Scotland where the team's games were. Uh, so very, very little free time. I ended up not doing a lot of things my friends would do at like school, after class activities within school. Didn't do any of them. Even stupid things like going to watch fireworks with my mates, never did any of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really time consuming and it's tough. It's tough mentally to get around that. You know, it sucks. I'm not seeing my pals. I can't, not that drink was ever important, but I can't drink. You felt you had these shackles placed on you, even though I was probably placing them on myself because if I wanted to, I could have. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's choice. I know I wanted to take it as seriously as I could have. I thought I was going. I thought I was going to go pro, and I thought you know I need to do these things and tick these boxes to make sure I go pro, uh, which then makes it very hard when then you're released because all everyone at, when you're in pro youth, I'm sure it's the same for other guys. All anyone wants to talk to you about is playing for pro youth teams. Anyone you meet anywhere wants to know about it. All your family talk about it on Facebook, kind of people you kind of know comment on your stuff and you almost become not a celebrity but very popular because of that and then as soon as you're released that part of you completely goes away and you're no longer that person that plays for Hibs Hearts, Dundee United or whatever, you're just a guy that plays football uh, and I found that very hard to deal with at first because when I got released I it wasn't in person. I couldn't go to the training that night for some reason. And they called my dad and told him. So it was my dad that had to tell me. And I still think about that sometimes. Just it felt like the world was ending. Uh, just everything you dreamed about and thought about all the time. All this time you put into going somewhere, all the extra hours running, doing these planks every morning and night, all the eating, not drinking, not smoking. 
you think, oh God, I've done all that and I've not even got what I've wanted to get. Uh, which then only, recently, only kind of recently I've realised that in football effort isn't always rewarded, unlike in other places. So with my uni studies now, if I put in the effort to you know to go through sums, then I'll get them right and your effort is rewarded. Whereas in football, you could be the hardest working person and not do well. Uh, so many other factors come into play and it's so out with, it really is out with your control. Uh, you know, look at Messi. He, you know, he had to get these growth hormones. If no one could afford it, he wouldn't have been a player. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's like very difficult, isn't it? Because what you're what you're describing with you know real honesty, and I really admire you from able to to put it out there, is that your identity becomes footballer, and it doesn't become strewn. You're no longer strewn. You are now labelled as a footballer, and for the majority. The world comes crashing down, unfortunately, whether it's at 15 or 18 or 22. And it's it's such a difficult thing to deal with because you're young. I mean, you, you don't really have a skill set at that time to deal with these emotions, let alone everything else that comes along with it. I remember feeling really embarrassed as well, not telling my friends for a couple of weeks, just feeling, oh, I don't know, because football is my thing. All, this, all me and my mates spoke about was football. And I just didn't want to tell them that I wasn't playing for Dundee United anymore. Uh, you know, your mates would start looking out for scores and be interested in things about you. And yeah, just being really, really embarrassed that I'd been released and someone looked at you, a coach or whoever, thought, oh, he's not good enough to go to the next level. And just realising, oh, geez, like, is, the, is that true? Like, do I really think myself I'm not good enough? And you start to doubt yourself and your own ability. And you can then go and play at a lower level and not do well because of the mental aspect of it. Your confidence can completely go. And then you stop doing the things which you did, which got you signed for these clubs. You know, if you're vocal, for example, maybe stop being quite as vocal. Or if you take the ball out from the back or a striker, if you're a natural goal scorer, you can lose your touch. And it's just all confidence. Yeah, and that list that we talked about at the start, that list of what makes you, all of a sudden it's gone. And mm-hmm. and how do you rebuild? It's such a such a tough subject. And your honesty here is, I mean, it's incredible, Shun. I, I have to thank you for your honesty because you, you've talked about mentality. And the more and more I talk to folk, the more and more the mindset and the mind, the mental effort takes over from everything else. You talk about your four pillars in football, your physical, your technical, your tactical, and your mental. But as you progress, it's definitely the mental pillar that becomes the most important mm-hmm. out of all of them. And then something which I then experienced, which I didn't think I would when I got released, was I went and trained back with Hutchie, a team I'd came from, and hated it because the boys didn't take it as seriously as the boys at Dundee United. I wanted to go to training, give my all, do the extra work, do the running, do everything. And these guys, because they didn't, have aspirations to go professional or anything they're just you know playing with their mates which is what I used to see it as didn't realise why I wanted to do all these extra runs and everything Uh, and I said to my dad I don't want to play boys club again and I didn't until right before I went to America and that was more for fitness than anything just to see me through until the August when I went away Uh, just get frustrated with people who didn't want to take it as seriously as I did and it then led to me getting angry at people and taking it out on others 
my, my own frustrations. And it was probably still, I swear, the embarrassment and the anger of being released, taking it out on other people I was playing with, saying, you know, why aren't you doing this? Or you know, I wouldn't say to them they weren't good enough, but thinking it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, that is a, a weight that you can't really shed, is it? That's a, a weight that sits for so long. Yeah, I just think about it all the time. Uh, totally, what, would you, what would you then, if, if I flip it to now, you know, we've had a chat, you're doing fantastic at university with your, your finance degree. How do you use those times to fuel the fire today? Well, suppose when I first went to uni, I was playing in the first team, which was quite uncommon for a first year. I was just loving it because the boys took it seriously during the game, but then your Wednesday night, everyone would go out and have a laugh. And it was a perfect balance of boys because there were a couple of guys in there who used to be full-time pros, clubs at Inverness and stuff, and guys that were good at football, good trainers. The manager used to manage East Cobride when they went on that long 38-game winning streak. It was a proper setup, and it was brilliant. I totally loved it. We were playing amateur games on a Saturday against men, and that was a, one of the best balances I've had in football, I think, of working hard and being able to enjoy yourself. So if you think about, you know, you've talked about things that you you chose, you chose football and you've missed out on things with friends and things like fireworks. Do you find that balance at uni helped kind of centre you and, and bring yourself back together again? Yeah, definitely. Plus, it's probably worth noting that when I was at Dundee United, half the boys trained in Stirling and half in Dundee. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you didn't, half of the boys, I didn't know them. I only saw them on a Sunday for a game. So you didn't know anything about them or anything. It was very hard to form relationships. Whereas then at uni, you spend your whole time with these guys. You know, you're in classes with some of them and then you play football with them three, four times a week. You go out partying with them, go to the library with them, out for lunch with them, and they become your best pals. You create, yeah. that, you create that reaction. And what I'm hearing is that you became strewn again because you were a footballer for so long and you've gone mm. through these disappointing times. But once you got to uni and you got into a group that, you know, similar to yourself or different to yourself, but it certainly seems like you became strewn again, opposed to a footballer, which you'd been for a number of years. And people didn't know who you used to play for or anything. Uh, I didn't then expect, oh, he's meant to be like this or meant to be like that or... It was just really nice just going in without any expectation on you. That's a big word that's come up quite often, is expectation. So how, how did how did that look? You know, what do you think expectation was? I, I found that really hard when kind of pro-youth type, pre-getting released, I found that really hard to manage because all anyone spoke to you about family-wise was your football. And everyone thought, oh, he's going to he's hopefully going to go pro. And then you would get, like, you know, your mum would post a photo on Facebook of it, for example, and all of our pals would comment on it. And all these people are talking, oh, you know, I'll remember his name, I'll look out for him. Or I used to go on, like, Scotland trips with my dad and we'd watch Scotland Abroad and just get chatting to people and they'd all ask about you and they'd be like, oh, I know this guy at this club and I'll oh, keep an eye out for you. And it just felt like, oh, my God, there's so much pressure to do well. Uh, and it, it became too much at points. Sounds It doesn't sound like a... Is this is it a direct pressure or is it indirect? Because it sounds like if people are constantly asking you about how it is, that's an indirect pressure. But with people saying, oh, I'll look out for you and I'll keep watching, that feels like a, a completely different type of pressure at the same time. 
Yeah, well, I suppose there was the people like that who would just make a comment or whatever, but then you know, you'd have your dad, you know, I spent so much time with him going, it was always him to to training and games, going through to Sterling there and back four times a week and then my game, all we talk about is football and everything I would do would be analysed. My dad and a couple of our dads would stand and watch training and we'd talk the whole way back about everything I did in training and same with the games. Everything I did in the games we would talk about and basically go through the whole game again. Yeah, so there was no release, it was just a, a, a constant inward spiral of of Walton yeah. and analysis. And that's a very personal thing because it's you that's being opened up. It's almost, you know, like in a doctor's term, it's like someone doing surgery on you. They're, you're literally being opened up and it's such a, a difficult world to deal with. So now you, <clears throat> I'm, I'm delighted now that I can then say, so you're comfortable, you're playing at university, but then there's a little bit of luck or unluckiness comes along. How do you manage that now? Uh, sorry, what? So, like, if, if you're playing at Sterling, you know, you're playing at Sterling oh, Uni, yeah. the team, and you're unlucky or uh, something goes wrong, does your outlook on it look different to when it, you were at the academy teams? I think so, because you kind of realise that by that point, football isn't the be-all and end-all. Uh, I mean, you realise you can still get frustrated at things. So, when I was at Sterling, I was playing all of every game for their 20s at the time. And the manager wanted me to then commit to Sterling Uni on a scholarship. And at the same time I was trialling to go to America, manager found out about America and basically called me out for it uh, and then dropped me because I said I was keen to go to America. And although being frustrated at that, it's not... you. you <sighs> I feel like after a while, having been released the first time, then kind of being released another time doesn't feel as bad. And you may be a better place to deal with it. Yeah, I like that. You know, sometimes when you go through things for the first time, you can't manage it. But you've certainly been able to, to deal with it. So what do you think it was? Is it just literally that you've been through that experience before? Or do you think you learned things that helped you build maybe a coping strategy? In? Uh, yeah, I think there's... Being able to talk about it is such a huge thing. Like to your dad, or I, I keep talking to my dad. He was the one that got me into football and they would take me everywhere. So I'd always be talking to him about it before and after the games and trainings. Uh, just being open enough with him to discuss if things are going well or not well with football. There's plenty of guys who I played with at various clubs and levels that wouldn't have an open relationship about the football. And it, nothing could go wrong they, whereas I could say you know I'm not playing well and we'd talk about it uh, I felt like a lot of guys dads which is such a thing in, in kind of pro youth the dads put on so much pressure because they all want their son to be pro and they know that the dad who they're standing next to his son plays the same position as his own son and they're thinking you know only one of them is going to get the contract only one of them is going to get which is a job is then what you do. Uh, but it's great that you had somebody, and that's a great bit of advice, is that it doesn't have to be a, a mum or a dad, but I think it's important that you have to find somebody that you can almost, not, not even just release, but someone like you said, just to talk to about what's going on and, it, and make sure that it can be honest and open too. 
I sometimes find it good to talk to people who didn't care about football, about it, if things were going wrong, because they didn't, have, they didn't know what I was talking about, but they would just sit and listen. Uh, and then just made it very easy no, talk about it. Good advice. And again, it's, it is, and I don't know, that could be an auntie or an uncle or a teacher. There's so many options out there. But if you're sitting and listening and in a difficult position, staying quiet is without doubt probably the worst thing to do, in my view, yeah, anyway. Totally. So what was it like? I'm interested just to talk on, on what was it like playing on a Saturday in the adult environment? Because everything's pretty much been with your peer group. Yeah. Uh, we note written down here. So what was the changes and how did that change football? It's funny, I didn't realise I had an accent until I started playing in that league. Uh, and I, I got told that pretty quickly. I also learned a few new words quite quickly. I'd have to ask the boys sometimes, oh, they've called me this, but I don't know what it even is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. They, they found out it was from Edinburgh pretty quick. And uh, you just get lumps kicked out of you for 90 minutes on a Saturday. But it was great because some of the guys in that, that league had played at decent levels, you know, played at lower league in Scotland, or uh, and although they maybe weren't the fittest, they were good on the ball, uh, and it maybe made you more aware because they were never going to run run past your beat in a race, but their movement was very very good. So help me football that way because when you play against people your own age, your own fitness level, movement isn't always as good because they can just run. Whereas these guys, they, just, they weren't as mobile. And it then taught you a lot about communication as well, because they had to be so specific about what they wanted, because if the pass was a few yards away, they just weren't going to get onto it. Just let it roll by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like it. Did the feedback, the way you got feedback, did that change as well then? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. It was a little bit more... In our uni league, we did really well, whereas in that league on a Saturday, we didn't do as well. Uh, it was a bit more, you know, if you made a mistake, it was a bigger thing on the Saturday or if you gave the ball away. So it kind of helped you grow up a bit in terms of realising, oh, this is kind of big boy football now. If you got, did, I mean, did you get much opportunity of that at 16, 17 of realising the, the difference? No, the only thing would have been when I was 17 and I was at Stirling Uni playing with their 20s, I went and trained with their first team for a week. And these were guys that used to be full-time pros, some of them. And that was the first time I'd played with men. That was quite a big shock. I, I, I always thought I was very fit. And I thought I was strong for my age. Then you play against you know 28-year-olds and you're just a wee guy. Compared to them, you get pushed off every ball. Uh, and you just realise, oh, geez, there's so much more work to be done. It's like a reality check. I like uh, that. Yeah. Quite often it is, isn't it? And I think sometimes we can get stuck in the, the same age group for a bit too long, especially when you get into our late teens and you just don't quite realise what that reality check is sometimes. It doesn't have to be huge. It could literally just be like what you're saying. I think I'm fast and strong and all of a sudden I'm not. So yeah. what else have you got to use to try and you know work your way around these problems? Mm-hmm. it's important uh, but it sounds like it sounds like a, quite a, a, a unique world to be playing on the Wednesday at, with a uni and then all of a sudden on the Saturday to be in I don't imagine were they giving it tight for the posh Edinburgh voice I'd imagine was it yeah, ridiculous I said I didn't realise I had an accent up until I started playing in this I think it was a Glasgow Caledonian league uh, 
Yeah, I started saying the word I an awful lot, uh, <laughs> trying to say different things. <laughs> and trying to absorb the language. Yeah. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you still stuck out and took a few blows for it, as you said. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it. So in terms of looking at advice that you received, is there anything that you've kind of held on to about... Um, from anyone from your dad or just little nuggets of advice you think that that have really helped uh for for people who are in an academy i think the stats something like one percent of people become a footballer and that's just your first contract once you have your first contract you're not a player you're just playing in like an under 20s league type thing it's not you know I, I, I although i didn't play in it it's not amazing or anything you need to get your second contract and then get a first team contract Remember what a coach once saying to me, you're not a first-team player until you've started every game for a season and then you're a first-team player. Uh, and you see it a lot, a lot of players who you played with or just know, you get a couple of contracts, make a, make their debut, maybe score a goal or whatever, and then they don't play football anymore. Uh, I just think you have to always try and have a backup plan. That would be my bit of advice, whether it be education or some kind of other vocational training or something. Just be ready because equally you could be a brilliant footballer and break your leg and never recover, lose your speed or whatever. These things happen. Uh, it can just change in the blink of an eye. That that's the best way to put it. It can literally just change in the blink of an eye. It could be a broken leg. It could just be a coach or a manager that mm-hmm. doesn't have the same thoughts, doesn't see you in the position. There's so many things. I do. I think it's an important bit of advice. Have something else that comes along with it. And you've spoken about how hard it was managing football and school. But if you didn't do that, where would you be? I know, I agree. And, and I still do it, actually, when I uh, play for a team now in Ayrshire. So it's like yeah, an hour-ish from Glasgow, give or take. And a lot of the time I do uni work on the way to training and the way back, uh, just to try and keep on top of it. Because it's still quite a long commute. You've already mastered that art because you've had years of that at high school. That's normal for you. I like that. I do, and I appreciate your honesty. So you're talking about having a good backup plan or just having a backup plan, which is a genuine, really important thing to have out. And it doesn't have to be education, like you said. It could be anything. Just make sure it's there. Um, Just to kind of come to an end and slowly wrap us up, I've got a little bit written down here um, about transition from, uh, let me say, university into studies, because I'd like to talk about that. So do you think that your uh, transition from academy football into university has helped you study harder, study more, or helped you um, focus? Yeah, I probably see football as maybe a little bit more of a release now rather than almost a priority. Even though I did try very hard at school, football is what you thought about all the time. Whereas now, yeah, football is your kind of your release and uni is then your priority. So it just takes up more time. I'm not yeah, sure if that quite answers the question. Uh, I do. I like it because it's, it's, you've, you've said it yourself and I've said it all the time that if less than 1% are making it, we have to figure out what skills that we can acquire 
through the current process until there's some sort of change and we try and improve that number that then aids you in in future life and you know you've already spoken about studying in cars and the extremes that you've had to go to but you can now use that today to help you with uni work I think your application in terms of the apple uh, walking into training should set you up for the rest of your life too and that they're ingraining sort of the right processes in how to get through your day. I think as I said earlier football maybe taught you that effort isn't always rewarded but that doesn't mean you stop putting the effort in I suppose like for someone maybe at uni at uni you don't have as continuous asset as much continuous assessment as at school you might just have one essay and one exam so just because you aren't getting rewards for all this effort doesn't mean you stop putting it in because eventually eventually it'll pay off no I like that and I'm going to finish on that point there because it's such a a good point to make. Struan, I very much appreciate your honesty. It was a really nice insight into the pressures of academy football and how it can build up, but also where you can go after it. So thank you very much, pal, for coming on. Cheers, Johnny. Thank you. That's it for another episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. You can get me on Twitter at PlayTrainGrow You can email playtraingrow at gmail.com. This is a new thing for me and for those involved. I'd love some feedback. If there's any other areas you'd like covered, any other topics you'd like to discuss, just let me know. Thank you and goodbye.